We are now at episode 10 of African American with your girl Six the Goddess. And keep in mind, I'm a goddess, so I'm sensitive about my shift. I feel like this 10th episode is a milestone. Like, I feel like the 10th episode is like a thing. Okay. Anyway, enough of that. Let's go ahead and get right into this week's episode. So I saw an article online and the headline was about the huge increase in suicide in black children, preteens between the age of 11 and 13, or was between the age of 10 and 13, I I believe it said. So um, this is from the Chicago Tribune. And I'm reading an article and basically they were describing two different scenarios that had occurred recently of two different young black children that had committed suicide. Both of them, it seemed to happen without any kind of warning or or signs or things of that nature. And in the article, they proceeded to go on about how researchers and scientists cannot figure out you know, what is causing the increase. And, you know, I I, I like to analyze things. Everything I see and read, I like to analyze it in my mind before I kind of just go with the direction that the author kind of wants you to go in when you're reading these articles. And I'm like, you know, who are the researchers that are supposedly trying to figure out why these young black children are, you know, having an increase in suicide. You know what I'm saying? Like, who are these researchers? Are these like old white people doing the research? Like, or are you having people that are actually born and raised in the black community doing this research? You know what I'm saying? Like, at what point does something not become a matter of a college degree? And when does it become a a matter of just experience? So this is why we cannot sit around and necessarily wait on, quote unquote, researchers to tell us what is wrong in our communities. That's almost impossible. You know, that's why I say I'm like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just you know, a black person born in the United States that experiences this shit in real life. So now if that makes me less qualified than someone who is supposed to be trusted more with their opinions or information because they have a white coat and went to uh, went to school, then I don't know that when majority of these people are not black, that are doing this research, never been to the hood, never been in the hood, have never lived this in real life. So if if they are more qualified because they have a piece of paper, then then we are qualified to, you know, diagnose the problems in our own community. That kind of shows that incorrect mindset that we have, you know, that 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 piece of paper those degrees from these colleges and these schools, in my eyes, they don't mean anything. Especially when it comes to our issues. Because as I say all the time, if you are not black, you will never, ever, 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 ever in life understand what it's like 
You will never be able to understand or relate to things that we experience, things that we go through. If you're just putting people under microscopes and observing people in that way, and that's how you're trying to diagnose issues in the black community, good luck. Because nine times out of 10, people in the black community, we don't even take mental illness or psychological or personality disorder seriously. That's not even a thing to us. So if you're like putting black people under a microscope to test and observe them like lab rats, God only knows how far that's going to get you. Okay, people are different when they're observed from a doctor and when you observe them in their natural environment. Okay, so reading an article, it was really easy for me to quickly see what the problem is and why these suicide rates are increasing. And I don't need a white coat to be able to tell what's going on here. So I can kind of speak um, on this personally because there were times in my childhood where I definitely contemplated suicide. Um, And I'm I'm gonna go into why. So I had developed an extreme, extreme um, anxiety issue, okay? Um, It's all too common in our communities to have children being raised in single-parent households, okay? So, you know, majority of the time, if you're raised in a single-parent household, that also means that you're either in poverty or right at the poverty line it usually means you know a lot of struggle a lot of moving a lot of stress a lot of all that so so I'm nine years old my mother is diagnosed with breast cancer and the cancer would it would come and then it would go into remission and it would come so I developed anxiety because Even when the cancer was in submission or in remission, I'm sorry, that's when my anxiety would act up the worst because I was in a way anticipating when that cancer was coming back. Okay, I had an extreme amount of responsibility on me at a very young age. Okay, my mother spent most of our childhood half dead. Okay, so someone had to take care of my brother. Someone had to take care of me. Now, we speak about this stigma with black women and how it's expected for black women to always be strong, to never be weak, never be afraid. And we forget to talk about that same stigma that has taken over the lives of our children. Okay, black children's rights are overlooked way too often. And they are even overlooked by us. Okay. So uh, I, I look back with me as a child and I'm like, okay, so my mom's half dying. Me, my, my father and my, my brother's father are both nowhere to be found. My family was definitely not supportive of my mother when she was sick. You know, I don't even know. And I look back like, why was nobody coming to me and saying, hey, are you okay? (laughs) You know, we, we, we have this same expectation of our children 
to always be strong and never be weak as kids. And what this does is it psychologically traumatizes our children. And then when they attempt to express how they're feeling, unfortunately, it comes out as anger. It comes out as aggression or it comes out as complete silence. There's really no in between. Okay, who else? You got to look at it this way. Who else are we expecting? Who else are we waiting on to come to our children and ask them, are you okay? Are you okay physically, spiritually, mentally? Who are we expecting to do this if it's not us? Okay, looking back, I'm like, it was disgusting that I was basically stuck at eight years old to care for a dying parent, a younger brother, and myself, and keep up with my grades, and still be a normal kid and play and and learn. And not one single person ever came to me and said, can we help you? Are you all right? And I never felt comfortable to go to anyone, not even my own mother, who was a great mother and loved me dearly. I never even felt comfortable to go to my own mother and say, listen, I'm sinking here. Listen, I'm afraid. Listen, I'm upset. Listen, I'm stressed out. You know why? Because, you know, and like I said, hindsight is 2020. I look back now as an adult and look back like, why did I not feel comfortable? Because I didn't think I was allowed. Okay. Black kids are not vocalizing how they feel. Because they do not think they are allowed to. And I'm going to explain more by by what I mean by that. Sometimes as parents, you know, we get so caught up in work and bills and our kids and life and, you know, this system that wants us all dead or in jail or... We're not that are in jail. They want to make sure we're forking over as much as our of our money as possible. Okay, and we we get so caught up in that that we neglect our children in the right way. You know, we're good parents. We definitely love our children. We clothe them, bathe them, we keep a roof over their head, but we are not giving our black children the attention that they need, that life-saving attention. You know, when white kids, you know, their parents going through a divorce or some shit, their parents be like, yeah, you know, this is really hard on Daffodil. You know, you know, her mom and dad are going through a divorce, you know, so she's, you know, and, and they're coddled. And then when it, we have our kids where there's a price on their head, everyone's some dead, one wrong move, they get the max sentences, you know, one parent households, poverty, oppression, and no one is like, well, you know, someone is trying to kill him every day. <laughs> you know, we're not doing that. Instead, if and when our children misbehave or act out due to this extreme emotional stress and anxiety and trauma, you know, we just beat them. <laughs> we just beat him. Oh, he's acting up. You know what I'm saying? He need his ass whooped. And we do that because it's all we know. Okay, so now we see this increase in child suicide. There has been a 114% increase in suicide between before our children between the ages of 10 and 13. 
And there is no doubt in my mind that it is because these children are hurting. Okay. These children are frustrated and they do not feel as though they are allowed or that they can talk to anyone about it. We are the only hope for our children. Reading the article opened my eyes like, okay, I know that I definitely already am emotionally nurturing my son, but I need to make sure that I am paying close attention to his emotions because I am the only one who is going to one care and I'm the only one who is capable of understanding him. Okay. I know his home environment. I know the odds against him as a young black child in the United States. So I just want us as parents to take it easy on our kids Understand how stressful it is to be a child and to see what is happening to people that look like you. Okay, when our kids are seeing, as a young black boy, you're seeing what's happening to black men and you're kind of, you feel as though you're peering into your future. Okay, um, and, and this is an issue just in general, because like even to this day, I still suffer from extreme anxiety. I have extreme anxiety. My, my anxiety only went through the roof once my mother actually finally passed from the disease. Then my anxiety was just off the charts. So now if I stand in front of you today as this tall, strong, beautiful black woman, and I tell you, listen, I'm having an anxiety attack. I have horrible anxiety. You know what people think? I'm tripping. Oh, nothing's wrong with her. She's fine. (laughs) And these are childhood anxieties and traumas that went unresolved, that were never paid attention to, and they only escalate in your adult life. This stuff does not go away. Okay. Now, luckily, I am a mentally strong person where I was able to self-diagnose my anxiety, the triggers of it, why I have it. And I was able to find my own solutions to deal with the anxiety like meditation and yoga and prayer, you know, switching up my diet, different beverages to drink, different herbs, you know, but not everyone is thinking that way. A lot of people are very caught in the cycle of their childhood trauma. So We get homework every week. Our homework this week is make yourself a safe place for your children to come express themselves in every way. The next thing I want to talk about is Uncle Tom and cooning in the workplace. This is something that we all see and there have been some that have personally done this or have been the victim of someone else being this towards them. So I'm going to start this conversation out with a story. Okay, um, so there was an issue at my job. Um, so for those of you that don't know, I am a stylist. I work in a salon. And an African-American man came in the salon um, and it's funny because like my salon is mixed, you know, it's white people, it's black people, it's Spanish people, but it's mostly white people at the salon that I work at. So when you uh, go to beauty school, 
unless you go to like a beauty school in the hood, they don't teach any kind of ethnic hair at all. Like all you learn is white hair. That's it. So now this issue had been going on for some time where we're in a predominantly white salon and then, you know, somebody walks in and all the white staff looks at this black person like they are a leper and freak out like, oh my God, I don't know how to do their hair. I don't know what to do. Now you've made our customer feel extremely uncomfortable. You have now dehumanized this person. You know, they come in here trying to you know, get their service done and you're treating them as though they are unaware of the look on your face when they walk in. So this had, this was becoming an increasing issue at my job. I had never spoke on it because I had only been there for a few months at the time when this happened. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm just tripping. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, "Mm, maybe I'm tripping. I wanted to give it some time to really observe it before I mention anything about it. Cause I'm the kind of person I don't open my mouth until I know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? I don't like having to come back and be like, I was wrong. So I'd rather just thoroughly think through things before I say them. So now a coworker of mine who was a black man, uh, we have like a group chat uh, that we discuss different work, you know, issues and conversations in. So he went in the group chat and was like, listen, this black man that walked in before anyone even asked him what he needed everybody scatters from the front desk like this man has is like foaming at the mouth with rabies and treats him like shit and he was like so I need to know since I work with y'all every day how do you feel about me because if I see black man walking here and y'all disrespect this man you know what I'm saying he wanted him he he's he's a black man who is for his people so if he see one of his brothers being mistreated he gonna say something and I love that about him. So, you know, he gets in a chat and he says that. So another employee, which is a white female. Now, keep in mind, when he said this, um, he didn't mention any names. He just kind of was speaking in general. Like, listen, we can't we ain't having that. You know what I'm saying? We're not we're not having brothers come in here and y'all treat them like that is what he was saying. So now another employee, like I said, a white female gets in a chat and she says, um, she started going off. Well, just so you know, um, the only reason why I didn't take the haircut is because I had to do this, I had to do that, and it wasn't another. And so now they're going back and forth. He didn't address her, but she took it upon herself, what they say a guilty pig always squeals, to kind of write him a long paragraph back in the chat. So, long story short, um, the next day, uh, <laughs> Our manager, who is an Afro-Latino, he's Puerto Rican, but he's a black Puerto Rican, um, comes in with the district manager, goes to the computer, prints out like a stack of paperwork, okay, takes the my co-worker into the back room, uh, my, my black co-worker that was telling people about how they were treating black customers, takes him into the back room, they're back there for some time. He then ends up coming back out and starts packing his stuff. And I'm like, where are you going? And he's like, I'm out of here. I'm done. They just fired me. And I'm like, they fired you? What? Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, listen, I'll tell you what happened later. So I'm sitting here looking at this whole situation. Once again, looking at it from my point of view, which is definitely going to be different than anyone else. And um, 
I'm we're going to talk about the bigger issue in this situation. So I'm like, let me get this straight. So the issue is not, okay, the disrespect to black customers, the dehumanization of black customers. That's not the problem here. The problem is him speaking on it. Now, this goes back to what I say all the time is that there is nothing that is a bigger threat or that scares white people more than black people who stick together. That pisses white people off when they say, oh, you only want that because he's black too. You're damn right. They hate that. They hate it, even though they do it all the time. So I'm like, okay, let me get this straight. The issue here is not the dehumanization of our black customers. The issue was him speaking on it. Okay. So now after that, I was beyond disgusted. Like I was ready to leave the job as well. Cause I was like, I'm going to end up going off on somebody in here. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, honestly, you'll leave this job and you'll see this same thing happen at the next job. This is not something you can run from. This is what I know. So that's why I didn't leave. I'm like, okay, I'll leave here and then what? Run into the same thing. This is not something we can run from. This is something that happens everywhere. So let's go ahead and decode what just happened in this workplace scenario. First of all, you know, there, there comes a time where even in the workplace, things no longer become a work issue. It becomes a man-to-man issue or a woman-to-woman issue, and even more so when it's black man-to-black man. So now he speaks up for his brother that was mistreated by this company, and your solution is to fire this man for speaking up. And my thing is, you know, they were trying to say, oh, well, he... He shouldn't have said what he said in the group chat. That wasn't the place for it. So if that's the case, do you know that only the black guy was um, brought into the back room? You know, the white girl that was going back and forth with him, she didn't get written up. She wasn't suspended. She wasn't fired. And see, that right there is racism. Okay, this oversimplification of racism is very dangerous. This is what racism really is. Okay, so this man is speaking up for something that is disgusting that is going on. And he is automatically perceived as aggressive, violent, threatening. Okay, and and the white girl arguing back and forth with him. She's given the understanding. She's not getting it. She's not getting suspended. She's not getting fired because we understand she must have been terrified arguing with this big, scary black man. So now, my after the termination, I stopped speaking to our manager because I'm like, bruh, as a black man, see, I expect this from them. I expect this from them because honestly, they're going to do what they do. But you as a black man, you know, in the workplace, we all know that black person where the white people use them to carry out racist agendas towards their employees. You know, he's the house nigga. He's the Uncle Tom. He's the one that shucks and jives for them. He's a trustee. They know they have control over this nigga. That's usually the black person that they use in the workplace to carry out their unjust and racist agendas so they can say, well, look, a black guy did it. Okay? If the white shop owners would have came in and fired 
you know, my coworker for saying what he said, it would have looked too racist. <laughs> it would have been too blatantly racist. So what we'll do is we'll have the black guy do it. Okay, and, and, and why does this happen? Okay, the Uncle Tom, in his mind, he has gotten caught up in money. He's gotten caught up in the workplace. Okay, I want to make it very clear to black people that shuck and jive. That shucking and jiving isn't getting you anywhere. These white people are your friend and give you pay raises and give you good positions because they can use you. <laughs> The day that they are not able to use you, sweetie, they will throw you right back to the slums of Puerto Rico where you came from. Okay? And I believe there are some black people that get caught up in becoming an Uncle Tom in the workplace without even realizing it. And they tell themselves, well, I got a family to feed. Well, I got bills to pay. You know, and that's how they cope with it. But there's not a single dollar amount in this world that makes it okay. It's also important to note in this scenario that there was not a single white person in that situation that was like, mm, that stood up to say anything like, no, this is wrong. He should not have been fired. If he was fired, the person that was also saying going back and forth in the work chat should have been fired as well. These white folks weren't saying that. That white girl didn't say, you know what? If he's leaving, I'm leaving as well. That's not fair. She's not doing that. So that is racism. You know, you could be friends with black people. You want to be nice to black people. But guess what? When that time comes where white folks are able to use their white privilege to take advantage of a situation, they capitalize on it because she's still in there cutting hair and he still is no longer there. So now, you know, after the termination, I stopped speaking to the manager because as y'all know, I hate bitch ass niggas and I definitely hate Uncle Tom. Like, Bruh, because if it was up to me, we would just shoot all the Uncle Toms. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we could, if it was legal, like if we were allowed to, we would just dead they ass. Because there's some people, some black people, where their minds are so far gone, they hate themselves so much that there's no stopping them. Especially a manager like mine, where he's Afro-Latino, like I said. You know, a lot of uh, black Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, they get harassed and discriminated against so much in their country that they grow a complete disdain for black folks in general and then they you know they come to america and all these white folks are being nice to them and giving them money and giving them jobs and that's how they begin a hatred for their own kind because they're still holding on to that hate and that pain from being teased for being black as hell in puerto rico being black as hell in the dominican republic it's a real issue colorism in afro-latino countries is a major problem that we don't talk about and it produces afro-latinos that hate their skin hate their hair you know what i'm saying so he's one of them black guys he's so happy to be here and he see these white folks being nice to nice to him not knowing they only nice to them because they can control you okay so i stopped speaking to him and he noticed he noticed that i stopped speaking to him because he ends up coming to me and saying you know is everything okay i noticed that you don't speak to me anymore and i was like yeah i don't speak to you because that move that you pulled with you know our co-worker was straight bs you know what i'm saying I, and and there are certain things you cannot come back from like you were blatantly used as an uncle tom and a shucking jiver in this scenario and you fell for it like at some point fuck this job 
you as a black man was dead ass wrong if they did want to still fire him because of what he did because like i said we expect that from them of course they're scared of him this is a big black man who knows who he is and is not letting you disrespect his people of course y'all are terrified of course that nothing scares you at worse than that you know so now your white upper management was definitely too afraid to say anything they didn't want to look racist and they used you you know, now once, this is the thing. Now, once he realized what had happened, I think that he realized he got bamboozled, that they don't set him in here to perform this extremely racist act. And I think that once he realized that he had been used, he had to save his ass. So you know what he then tells me? He tells me, well, just so you know, um, I didn't call him in the back room to fire him. I called him back here just to talk to him. Now, we're ignoring the fact that, like I said, we the whole shop saw him print out a stack of paperwork with the district manager before he took him back there. So he got caught in that lie, but I didn't I'd even apply pressure with that. And it's funny because he knew exactly what to say to exonerate himself. So what he did was. Oh, well, I fired him because he was being aggressive towards me and he was saying racist things to me. And I'm like, nigga, tell me how in the hell a black man says something racist to you. Well, he he called me the N word. I was like, nigga, please. <laughs> but he knew he knew if I just portray him as being aggressive and, and violent, they'll believe me. And he knows why they'll believe him because he's a black guy so it's funny because these uncle toms love to say they don't see color yet they know the exact buttons to press and the exact things to say when it comes to getting off in the workplace so now you know you got caught up in this racist shit so your solution is i'll just paint him to be aggressive and violent <laughs> you know so he ended up brain blaming his um termination on that but we all know what really went down you know, that's why I say we have no mercy on Uncle Tom's because as much as they are Uncle Tom's in the workplace or outside the workplace, we all know they they, they know deep down inside. So once you realize that these white folks don't threw you under the bus and had you perform this racist act, well, what I'll do is I'll just call him aggressive. It's so funny because people will be blatantly racist in front of black people be blatantly racist to black people. And then when we're like, fuck that, you got me fucked up you're being aggressive <laughs> you know what i'm saying these people we we don't watch and it, this and and that incident he got fired over that wasn't the first time that happened that had happened several times between several employees we had several black people walking in the shop and y'all treat them like shit y'all run away from them okay and then and then when we speak up for it then when we're pissed off about it y'all are really aggressive you know, and these Uncle Toms know the exact words to use to carry out their agendas in the workplace. That's what they do. You know what I'm saying? They they get up under the white folks to get what they need and get ahead. And then, you know, any niggas that don't want to have anything to do with them. Oh, they're just being aggressive black people. They know exactly what to say to these white folks to discredit you. You know what I'm saying? So I basically just ended up telling him, like, I don't fuck with you at all. You know what I'm saying? You was a bitch ass nigga to me. I don't agree with shit that you did. I don't agree with what you stand for. You one of them niggas where all you care about is yourself. As long as your bills are paid, as long as your family is straight, 
You don't give a damn about nobody else. Definitely not your own people. Now, like I said, it's it's so easy to get caught up in that. We have to. Yes, we all got families to feed. Yes, we all got bills to pay. But do not ever get so caught up in your job that you lose your integrity as a man, as a black man. Don't ever get so caught up in your job that you lose your integrity as a woman, as a black woman. I I am confident in my talent and myself. Okay, this is why we have to build that confidence. Since I am confident in my talent and myself, I'm not shucking and jiving for nobody. Because guess what? I know myself, I know my talent. And if I feel as though I have to kiss your ass or, or, or shuck and jive to keep my job, I'm not doing it. And it's funny because if you stop shucking and jiving, then more times than not, white folks will leave you alone because they know she ain't the one. She's not going to kiss our ass to make us comfortable. We cannot use her to carry out racist agendas to other blacks. They leave you alone. They get their hands the fuck off of you. So as, as much as we all, you know, want to make our money, we want to take care of our families. Be sure that you are not losing yourself in the midst of that. Be sure, number one, that you are not that Uncle Tom in the workplace. Understand that you should never have to, you know, dance and sing in front of white folks to get ahead at work. And if you do think that dancing and singing in front of these white folks is going to get you ahead at work, understand it's under the stipulation that you allow them to keep their foot on your neck. Understand it is under the stipulation that you do what they say, what, when they say it and why. Okay. Now you have to think of how far you're willing to sell yourself down that river. Okay. So first be sure you're not the uncle Tom yourself. Okay. And now if you are not an Uncle Tom and you want to know how you deal with Uncle Toms in the workplace. When I say shoot Uncle Toms in the face, do I mean literally go to these niggas and shoot them in the face? No, I mean you dead them mentally. Okay. Now I saw Uncle Tom in the workplace. I recognized what he was doing. I know why he's an Uncle Tom. I know why he hates himself. It's very transparent, easy. You know, he's married to a white girl, you know, just to make sure his kids don't come out too dark. We know how that goes. Okay, so what you do is you shoot him in the face mentally. You cut him off. Uncle Tom's feed off of that energy. So once you see an Uncle Tom in the workplace or hell, anywhere, we mentally dead them. It's that simple. Ignore him. I walk, I walk and work every day and walk past my manager. He don't even exist because he doesn't because you're irrelevant to our people. You've made your decision. You know, so we, we got to hold each other accountable and we got to have consequences for all that bitch ass shucking and jiving behavior. Now let's talk South Africa because we need to pay close attention to what's going on here. So... If y'all haven't heard, now it's almost impossible to kind of simplify what's going on, but okay, if I, I'm just going to attempt to kind of like, in a nutshell, kind of uh, give a rundown on what's going on in South Africa. So in the simplest layman's terms, what's happening in South Africa is all the land that was stolen by white colonizers and white farmers 
a hundred years ago that you know that that either them or their descendants are still um living on making money off of they are basically reclaiming the land without paying for it now to me any normal you know person with any kind of sense would think that that sounds about right (laughs) that sounds about right okay so these can you imagine someone like busting up in your house and just like setting up a bed and having dinner you know and then expecting you to like pay them to leave your house (laughs) hell no get the fuck out (laughs) you know what i'm saying so now you know south africa has a new president and the president is basically saying like you know y'all are being evicted like you guys to go we ain't paying you shit you guys to give all that up now you would think that there would not be a fight now sometimes that can be a, a problem only if you look at it this way is some people are trying to say well you know, it doesn't just affect the farmers, it affects their employees. Yeah, it, it affects these, these white farmers with these black employees in South Africa working for dollar amounts that are completely unfair. Nice try though. <laughs> when these white farmers are paying their employees pennies and then profiting hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars off of the, the produce from this land. Okay, so, you know, you, you watch you watch TV and you watch online, you see these white folks desperately trying to justify why South Africa is wrong for kicking out all the farmers farming on, you know, stolen land. Um, and it's just amazing to me to see how white folks really stick together, right or wrong, okay? They could be dead wrong. They could be racist, slave owners, colonizers, and they will still find a way to be like, you know, they're not that bad. You know, they deserve understanding. (laughs) So, um, okay, so now white folks' response to the decolonization going on there is that the white farmers that are kicked out should be allowed to come to the U.S. and given new land. Pause. Let's just take a pause to just think about how that sounds for a second. Let's just take a moment. Okay. (laughs) So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So all the Muslim immigrants, all the African immigrants, or I should even say that, Let let me use the right word, refugees, are bad and should not be let in this country okay but these wealthy white farmers farming on stolen land that they never paid for should be let into the country as refugees (laughs) you shouldn't be so mean to them Oh my God, I'm done. I'm so done. You know what? How about this? Get over it. Work harder. Stop complaining. (laughs) You know, y'all should really just get over it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm petty. I 
like being able to say shit to other people when they say it to us. I'm call me pet bitch. I had pettuccine Alfredo for lunch. Call me what you want. They should get over it. Stop crying. Work harder. No one's being mean to you. <laughs> Stop complaining, Sarah. Okay? Get over it and move on. <laughs> Oh man, well that's enough petty for one day for me. Even though it's not being petty, it's actually, like I said, common human sense. But, you know, everyone's allowed to do what's best for them except black people. We're not allowed, okay? Everyone else does what's best for them without even having to say it. They don't even have to vocalize it. Everyone but us. When we do it, it's hateful and it's disgusting, okay? All right. So, okay. Another article that I saw um, that I was reading, it was about this father and son, I'm sorry, father and daughter who had proclaimed that they were in love and they were having a child together. And I'm reading all the comments under the article and everyone's like, this is wrong. This is disgusting. This is reading these articles and I'm reading these comments and I'm like oh and you don't have to ask yes they were white don't even ask before you ask yes before you ask yes um white man and his daughter they're in love they want to have a baby they're not they want to have a baby but they're having a baby together you know everyone's like oh this is wrong this is horrible and I'm like but I thought love is love See, we got to talk about the dangers of constantly repeating cliche, very general white logic. Okay, we need to learn where that term love is love came from. Okay, I say this all the time, but I got to keep saying it because it's like people are slow and don't really understand this. Saying love is love is dangerous. Okay, love without boundaries morals standards purpose is dangerous if you say that love is love then that means you also have to allow people that love fucking children to fuck the children if you say love is love then you have to leave this man and his daughter alone who are in love and let them marry each other if you think that love is love then you have to say that one man fucking another man in the ass is normal and okay. Okay? Saying this cliche logic is detrimental to us as a people. If you say something so basic in general as love is love, then it has to be applied to everything. You cannot say love is love and then say, well, except in... No, you. if you say love is love, then love is love. I'm going to make this very clear. Love is not love. Never has been, never will be. There's not a single relationship in this world that was built on simply just love and lasts. Love is actually on the bottom of the list. Love is not love. Sex is not sex. Okay. The purpose of sex is to produce children. So if your sex that you are having is not producing healthy children, it is wrong. So if you are homosexual, it is wrong. If you are doing incest, it is wrong. If you are fucking a dog, it is wrong. If you are fucking a child, it is wrong. And it is wrong because scientifically, you cannot produce healthy children through that sexual activity. Period. 
Now, does that mean you got to go to all gay people and hit them over the head and be like, I hate you, you know, and waste your energy doing that? No. But we need to make it very clear. Love is not love. You know, you as a woman, especially a black woman, if you want to test the man out and see where his head is at, ask him how he feel about that gay shit. If he be like, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. As long, you know, they love each other. Nah, nigga. If a nigga say that shit don't disgust him and make him sick, watch his ass. Love is not love. Okay. I want to say that a thousand times. I want to fucking tattoo it across my face. Okay, and, and these are the dangerous things that happen when we say that. So, you know, over here, we worried about saving our lives. We're worried about survival. We're worried about the, the generation to come with our children. So love is not love. We are nation building. Fuck love. I'm a love being alive. I'm a love seeing my children happy. Love comes later. When you base everything off of love first, perverse things happen. Because you can always just use that stupid L word to justify anything. It's too general, too basic. People need standards, people need rules, and people need someone to hold them accountable. So our second homework is to throw that love is love shit out the window.